0: The mistake of our culture is that everyone says, Well, it's my life. It has no bearing on you. And that's just not true. Because none of us live in a vacuum everything that all of us do impacts each other every mistake every time we partake of something that god says don't partake of that you weaken who you are and you weaken the people of god at the same time and we never think about that because they well i want to do it i mean who are you to tell me what to do
1: don't believe the song you're not an island (laughs) see our culture tells you that what you do doesn't affect anyone else but that's just not true Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that like a pebble thrown in the water, your choices have a ripple effect. What you do makes an impact on the lives of the people around you. You're connected in ways that you might not even see. So when you go against God's ways, you weaken yourself and your community. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 6 as he continues his message, Jericho Has Fallen.
0: Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I mean, like, I didn't grow up going to church, so I didn't learn that in Sunday school. But if you grew up going to church, that was a Sunday school memory verse. But do we even do that? Do we trust in him with all of our hearts? It doesn't say trust in the Lord with some of your heart, with all of your heart. A full and complete trust. And then I love it, lean not on your own understanding. Don't put any weight on what you understand on your own. You're, all your wisdom, all the days that you live, all the experiences you have, don't lean on that as something that could be weight-bearing in your decision-making. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. In everything you do, you do all things for the glory of God. And it says, and He will direct your steps. In some ways, I just want to say, in Jesus' name, amen, and we shut the Bible and we leave today because if we just get that, we have everything. Because no matter what the situation you're in, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all my ways, I need to acknowledge the Lord and he will direct my steps. That's all you need to know. And Joshua, with all of his vast military experience, gets this crazy plan from God. And he goes, okay, is what we're doing. He was not afraid to be seen a fool by people who know that he knows better because this is God's plan. See, the battle strategy is the most unreasonable one possible. But what you realize, and what Joshua understood, is that this is not a military strategy. This is a religious ritual that he's going to. He realizes that the victor is not the one who is the smartest. The victor is the one whose leader is the strongest. And Joshua already learned that he wasn't the leader. If you remember the end of Joshua chapter five, when the commander of the Lord's army came to him, he says, Joshua said, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And the guy's like, no. As the commander of the Lord's army, that's why I'm here. And he said, and Joshua just falls on down My pastor, John Henry Corkin, used to always say, you and Jesus in a crowd is a majority. But most of us don't believe that. We know it, but we don't believe it. What does it look like for you to actually believe that Jesus and you in a crowd is a majority? That when Jesus has you somewhere, no matter what the odds are, you are already on the right side. When we get that, everything changes because now no longer are we swayed by things that seem to make no sense in the Bible, but are actually right on. It's amazing. When I first started walking with Jesus, I had someone say to me, you know, your faith is naive. And as you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll realize how naive your beliefs are. But what's funny is now I'm 20 years down the road following Jesus. And my faith is still naive and God's word is still true. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to know how to live? Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Treat the people you want to be treated. You look at any situation, you say, well, how would I want to be treated in that situation if I'm this person? I want to be treated this way. That's why you should treat them. It's like in a marriage, a couple struggling. It's like, well, okay, so husband, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Wife, are you submitting to your husband as under the Lord? No, we'll start there and end there. You know, people come in. You talk to people, I'm really struggling right now. Can I come talk to you? I'm like, well, are you reading your Bible? No. Are you praying? No. Well, what am I going to tell you? If you ain't talking to the wisest person who ever lived, who died on the cross for your sins, what do I got for you? Like, what kind of wisdom I got for you? Like, if you're not going to the book, I mean, like, like what do I got for you? I'm like, go read the book. But you know what's funny? I actually have a friend as a pastor. When he has that question, and he says, well, you reading the Bible? Are you praying? No, no. Well, why don't you do it every day for a week? And if you still need to see me, then you can call me at the end of the week. And I'm like, has anyone ever called you? He's like, nope. It's like the best counseling scenario ever. But seriously, right now, there's some of you right now, you're like, I just need to talk to a pastor. It's like, no, go talk to the good shepherd. He's talked to you through the word. See, all these things, it's simple and it's pithy, but it's so solid. Right? It's like we're starting this new series. I'm so excited about it. Upward, inward, and outward. It's going to be so much fun. You know why I'm excited about this? Because Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived. When they ask you, what's the greatest thing that you need to know? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm like, well, that sounds like some solid wisdom, right? So what I realized is that, you know, loving God and then because of God's love, then you love yourself in a healthy way and then you love other people, like that pretty much sums up what life looks like, isn't it? Everything in life is upward, inward, and outward. Every situation. How am I doing loving God? Because loving God, I'm preaching my Sunday sermon. I'm going to stop. But I say this because it's like, this is the simple stuff, Right? Like when you don't know what's going on, you think of Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to his purpose. So when something crazy goes on and you're like, Do I believe in Jesus? Yes. So that means I'm called according to his purpose. That means I love him. Even though sometimes my love's a little funky, God's love is never funky, so we're good. So that means that this is actually going to work together for good, even though I can't fathom how. So when you believe, when you grab hold of that, then all of a sudden you look out and you're like, okay, so God, I don't get any of this, but I know you're going to work this together for good. So I'm going to trust you. And then what happens is that you trust him and then God does something amazing. And then he does something amazing. And you're like, wow, God's so trustworthy. And he's like, uh, duh, you know, but that's what happens. So in some ways, what we learn here is that Joshua is smart enough to be simple enough to simply do what the Lord says. And in some ways, if all of us could grab hold of the simple reality, you don't need to learn new things. You need to remember the things you already know. And you need to say, I'm actually going to put legs, feet on the realities of these things that I know. Like, and even like right now, you're like, wow, I wish I knew that stuff. I just gave you guys four Bible verses. Right? I gave you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I gave you Romans 8, 28. I gave you Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, which is what we call the golden rule. Right? And then I gave you the greatest commandment, which is in Matthew 22 and a couple other places in, in the Gospels. Just memorize those four and then drive them like you stole them every day. <laughs> Just live your life on those four. And then once you memorize those four and you get really comfortable living that way, then add two more to it. Like, be still and know that I'm God, Psalm 34, 10. You know what I mean? Just add that one in there. Okay, I'm going to be still and know that it's God. And you just build, and it's so simplistic, but it is the deep things of God because Joshua, in all of his wisdom, Joshua realizes, God doesn't want me to have a brilliant military strategy. He's already got this thing covered. Because he told me, even though we haven't conquered Jericho yet, he told me, it's already done. It's finished. I've already got it. Now look what happens in verse eight. It says, so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you shout, and then you will shout. I just hear tears for fears in my head. <laughs> shout, shout, let it all out. All you kids of the 80s know exactly what I'm talking about. Sorry. That's not in your Bible. That's just the voices in my head talking to me. Sorry. Verse Verse 11. <laughs> So he had the Ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the Ark of the Lord when the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And so they did for six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. Now, what's fascinating here is you notice the procession begins. And what I really love about this is that Even though the only plan was to march around it, they still were smart about it. They had the armed men going before and after. Now, I think that's also important because it shows a shrewdness there. Like, we want to simply trust God, but we also want to use our brains as well. So realize God gave them the plan. I just want you to walk around it one time for six days, but you actually don't know what the people of Jericho are going to do. Like, what happens if they walk around and the people from Jericho come on out, right? So there's not, it's not like they check their brain at the door. They're like, well, listen, we're gonna have a rear guard and a front garden, and, and we're just gonna make sure that we cover all the bases. But each time they went around, no problem, six days. On the seventh day, it says they got up earlier, right? And it says that they went only on that day. So we, what we find here is there's a very strong specificity to do what God has asked them to do. That's kind of a fun word to say, isn't it? Specificity. So I just wanted you to say that because I mean, when do you ever get to say the word specificity? So you can impress your friends and on your YouTube and stuff, just say with some specificity. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Let's get back at it. So they're very specific to do what God has asked them to do. And it tells us in verse 16 that, and the seventh time... It happened when the priests blew their trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, verse 17, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, verse 18, by all means abstained from the Accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse. But all the gold and silver and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, This is one of those places in the Bible where there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of things that we need to kind of talk about. Now, the first thing is, is on the seventh day, the goal was to march seven times around the city. When the trumpets blew, Joshua said, we're going to shout and the walls are going to fall down. And we get more information here because in verse 17, we learn that the city shall be, it says doomed. Some of your translators literally use the word devoted to the Lord. And so the idea here is that everything that is within the city of Jericho when it is conquered is God's. The people don't get to take any of the spoils, right? So God has all of the spoils of the war are gonna be his. The people do not get to partake of any of it. Now, what's interesting, it says, and the Lord wanted to destroy all who were in it. The only people who were to remain alive were Rahab, the harlot, she and all who were in her house because she hid the messengers that we sent. So if you remember back to Joshua's chapter one and two, when they sent the spies in, Rahab kept them. And she made a covenant with them. And she said, and they said, listen, as long as that scarlet thread is there, as long as you guys stay in the house, we're going to preserve your life. Now, he also says in verse 18 that you need to... By all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and you make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, what this means is that the children of Israel are not to partake or keep anything. All of it, because God had said this is not for you, all of it is considered something that is a curse. Now, you need to make a mental note of this because by the time we get to chapter 7, you're going to realize that this was an important piece of information that one person in the camp decided not to follow. And that brought destruction on a lot of people and I don't want to give away what we'll talk about in Joshua chapter seven, but we live in an individualistic culture where we think, well, what I do is my business. It has no bearing on you. And the Bible just doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when one of us partakes in something that God has said, not the whole body suffers. Why? Because you're not your own. You were born depressed, Even though our culture values the individual and God values us as individuals, God sees us as something greater. You all know what it's like. If one part of your body is not functioning well, the whole body suffers. Isn't it true? And we, the mistake of our culture is that everyone says, well, it's my life. It has no bearing on you. And that's just not true. Because none of us live in a vacuum. Everything that all of us do impacts each other every mistake, every time we partake of something that God says, don't partake of that, you weaken who you are and you weaken the people of God at the same time. And we never think about that because they we say, well, I want to do it. I mean, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm saying I'm not anyone to tell you what to do. But God is God. He redeems you. And when you do these type of things, it impacts the whole community. God wants us to always think bigger than just ourselves bigger than just our lives. God wants us to think about other people as well and the impact that it has. So all these things, everything in Jericho is considered a curse because God has said, it's not for you. And all the gold, all the silver, all the vessels of bronze and iron, all of them are for the Lord. They're going to go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is when this all goes on, we get this piece of information It says, of course, when the people shouted, when the priest blew the trumpets, when they heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the walls fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, of course, For us, and really for any culture, this is where we hit a snag when it comes to the God of the Bible. Why would God determine that everybody died? And to be honest with you, you should struggle with that. Because who wants to see an entire city killed? And what I would say is that The holy God who is perfect in all of his ways sometimes brokers in violence, whether we agree with it or not. And we have two options. One, we can say, God is evil. Or two, we can say, I don't understand it. But I do trust the God who had sent his son to die for me. I don't want to minimize the dissonance we feel with that passage. I think we have to honor the fact that we struggle with it. But what's interesting is these type of things happen in very specific places in the Bible, but it's not the norm. It's not the norm. I mean, don't miss the fact that when they came to arrest Jesus, remember Peter, he pulled out his sword and he tried to cut that guy's head off, but he missed and he caught his ear. And Jesus healed Malchus's ear and he said, Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The same God who in this situation says everything must go later says, don't do that at all. And we have to remember that God's wisdom is perfect and his ways are perfect even when we don't understand them. You know, there was a time in my walk with the Lord where I would say, You know, I need to find a way to explain this away. And now I just say, God, I don't get it. I don't get why this is what you declared. But I'm going to trust your wisdom, even though I don't necessarily like it. Because who am I to call God evil? When I know it's in my own heart, and I don't even know the half of it. You know, it's like, how could I say that I could stand in a privileged position of perfect, righteous understanding in judgment of the perfect, righteous God when I've never been righteous, not one day in my life, except for Jesus who shared his righteousness with me. So sometimes when God in the Bible invites his people to do something that makes no sense, sometimes I have to say, God, I don't get it but I do know that justice is part of your perfections, God. Now, what's also interesting is if you, in this day and age, if you believe that what God wants is for a group of people to be killed, I don't think you can make it biblically defensible based on this. This is one specific instance. And There's a couple other instances like that, but to blanket it over to modern day, it's impossible. But it is a challenge, isn't it? There's that part of me, I've, I've said, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. And to be honest with you, I want God to explain it to me. But even if God chooses not to, I still trust him. He's still good, even though I don't get it. And so it's okay to not understand the ways of God. Because God doesn't ever say, I'm going to explain it all to you. And let's be honest, even if God did explain it to us, would we even understand it really on this side of eternity? I mean, isn't that what happened to Job? You guys know the book of Job? And actually, nobody really knows the book of Job. You know the first chapter and like the last three. Everything in the middle, if you've ever studied the book of Job, doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. It's like all his friends come, they say all this stuff to Job and, you know. But really what goes on at the end, God comes and says, Job, you know, where were you? There's three chapters. Where were you when I did this? And when did this, Job's just like, don't know. And really what God is saying is, Job, you don't even understand what's going on. We see through a glass dimly. But for whatever reason, God wanted it to be this way. Now, what's interesting is we find in verse 22, it says, but Joshua had said to two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent
1: If you're honest, there's a lot about God's commands regarding Jericho that are hard to handle. They might leave you feeling uncomfortable and confused, but as Pastor Daniel shared today, that's okay. It's okay to not understand the ways of God. He may never explain his reasons to you. You were reminded that you could still choose to trust God's wisdom, even if you don't like it you see through a glass dimly. So rest in him who knows and sees more than you can fathom. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never
0: put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVE to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to
1: 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Come back again when Pastor Daniel talks about how the Israelites experienced a crushing defeat just after this tremendous victory at Jericho. Can't you relate to that? Isn't it often the case that the biggest valleys in your life have come after those mountain top moments? Like the Israelites, you might have gotten too comfortable in those good times and taken your focus off of the Lord. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.